Thanks for listening to the Pro Video Podcast. Weekly insights into everything video. Proudly presented by worldpodcast.com. Here's the host, Blair Walker. Hi everybody and welcome to the Pro Video Podcast. Every week we bring you insights into film, television, online video, motion, editing, animation, visual effects, creative direction, studios, freelancing, After Effects, Cinema 4D and this week we're doing all that with Ryan Summers. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show, mate. Oh, thank you. You just described like the last 10 years of my life all in one one sentence. I think I was like, yeah, I got that. Yep. Check that one. Yep. That one too. So yeah, I'm super excited. It sounds great. Awesome. We're going to cover all those topics and um, it's great to, I'll chuck all those in the header for this because that makes Google really clickable. So <laughs> it's all about <laughs> <Awesome>. keywords. <laughs> Ryan, um, for the one person who doesn't know who you are in the world, do you mind sort of sharing who you are and where you're at and what you're doing in, in just a few minutes, mate? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, uh, my name is Ryan Summers. I'm in Chicago right now. It's actually where I grew up. Um, I'm a creative director at a company called Digital Kitchen. Um, I don't know how to describe what we do because we do too many different things. But I think recently we just started saying, or I just introduced us as a creative design company. Um, people may have known us for um, title sequences back in the day. We got kind of popular for um, doing stuff like True Blood and Dexter and a bunch of other stuff. Um, but since then, we've been doing a lot more experiential work. So. I hate saying experiential because it doesn't mean anything to anyone, um, but I call it space and place. So we, we kind of find spaces and, and turn them into places. You know, it could be something as simple as a hotel lobby. Um, we got some, notor- some notoriety for working on the Cosmopolitan um, Casino Hotel in Vegas a couple years back. We did the LAX International Terminal. I'd say probably close to 50 to 60% of my work. I've been here for a year. Um, I, before that, I was in LA as a freelancer, a motion designer and creative director. Um, when I moved here, I thought it was going to be a lot more animation, and it's actually turned into a lot more, um, a lot more broad work. We're still using animation, but I wouldn't classify it as animation. Um, so I was just in LA working on a hotel property, and then I was in Japan working on a concept car commercial. And right before that, we were shooting a behind the scenes to wrap up the work we did for um, in Atlanta in the states. They just built a brand new mixed use football stadium. So for American football, and then we have kind of a burgeoning soccer um, audience in the States as well. So the, the MLS, uh, they launched a brand new team in Atlanta, and uh, we did all the work, basically all the um, the video work, or the majority of the video work for, for that space. It's kind of crazy. It has a, it's hard to kind of mentally describe it, but it, it, they have a six-story tall, 360-degree screen. That's one seamless screen, um, which ended up being, I think it was like 21,000 pixels to, to kind of render for. Wow. But then they, they have, I think it's 14 or 15 other screens that are all timed together with that as well. So imagine you make content for one huge, really long, seamless screen, and then a bunch of other ones that kind of connect to it. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. So yeah, so that kind of scope of work, um, it, it's, it's pretty cool because it's kind of the work that three or four different shops would do individually. Yeah. But we kind of, we attack all of them. So back in the day, um, the top studios were doing motion design and um, video content. Now there's so many um, boutiques, smaller shops, and I, do you think that that diversification is also an indication of um, the maturing of motion design and the content, that it is becoming just part of our environments, our everyday, rather than just a broadcast execution? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think honestly, um, if my last year's worth of experience is kind of explaining anything, um, these big, old, larger companies, companies like ones I've worked at, like Imaginary Forces or Digital Kitchen, I've put a lot of time at these places. Um, it's a way to stay alive, yeah. to be completely honest. Um, I think it's a necessity that um, you know you can't make your make your daily bread on motion title or like title sequences or even motion design when a, a company gets to a certain size or thir- certain threshold or you know multiple offices. So I think for a company like Digital Kitchen, um, it's amazing that there's just this huge pl- like proliferation of screens. We, we call them canvases, kind of yeah. because it's not even really screens anymore. Um, but it, it's almost a necessity for a company like us. What I love, we were just talking about Brett Morris, who um, started Ranger and Fox, I think, like within the last year. What I love about the industry, the motion design industry, is that the, the tools and the techniques and the skill sets have kind of matched the speed of the, the canvases exploding. That um, a small company, you know, two guys and some freelancers, essentially, from my knowledge, can kind of compete directly with a company like Digital Kitchen. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that's awesome. I think it's it's... Motion design, I've always loved because it's an umbrella term. Like if anything moves, if you can put it on a screen or put it on a canvas, um, it applies. It's not you know something so specific. You know, it, I'm sure you've talked about this with with other guests before, but you know, AR, VR, MR, you know, real time gaming, all that stuff still fits inside motion design, right? It's like awesome, it's, isn't it? We, we've yeah, got this. It's great. We get to like use every aspect of um, creativity sound um you know um environment locations uh mm-hmm. projection mapping but it's it's um now with ar and vr it's like we're going to be using the real world as well as virtual ones so yeah. so for you and your role i'm like okay what sort of music do you like and you mm-hmm. know like audio and like being able to take that into your work as a motion designer and it might not uh-huh. even be you using the soundtrack but you're using the inspiration that that music is giving you how, how do you find oh, that? yeah oh it's awesome i mean it, it, there's so many ways to attack that it's just it, it's the thing that man i think even as we get into more space design or experiential design audio and sound design is already a vastly underestimated or undervalued kind of area for motion designers. But yeah. when you actually get into to like try to create mood through space, this audio design becomes even more valuable and it becomes even less thought of until people get into the space, if that makes any sense. Yeah. You know, you talk to somebody who's got a hotel lobby and all they think about is what to put on these very expensive screens and you never, they never think about what it's going to sound like. They never, yeah. it, it adds to the mood. It adds to the tone um, so much and they always forget about it. They never, they never really consider it. We just did a lobby for um, a place uh, like in just north of Washington D.C. Beautiful screen, huge lobby, marble like marble shelves, marble everything, floor to ceiling. Um, the the screen is positioned in a way where you can literally see it while you're driving past it on the street. And they never once asked about sound. They never once talked about it. And we brought it up initially, and like yeah, no, no don't worry about it. And then as soon as it was like actually viable you could go into the space while it's still under construction yep. we went and tested our, our 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 video that we had put up there they asked us so what's the soundtrack for this like they asked <laughs> us <laughs> which is so funny because until you actually fit in the space you stand in it you take it in you see what the line, line of sight is you feel the kind of ambient kind of feeling of it you know the temperature of the space um you don't you don't consider sound but it's so obvious the second you walk in just like if you go to a movie and you go and see your commercial playing before the movie Audio is obvious, but yeah. while you're working on it, half the time you have to remind yourself, you have to remind your team, you have to remind your client, like, there's going to be a soundtrack, there's going to be a score, there's going to be VO. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's huge. Uh, I don't know if that fully answers your question. 
No, I just another... I just like to throw out some random left fielders. So, and oh I, yeah, and and I think that what you're saying is nothing new from every mm-hmm. end of the spectrum. It's like on um, low budget shoots. It's so surprising to me how much audio lifts the quality of those productions oh. and the video, if it's a little bit not as um, uh, professional, the mm-hmm. audio is what really lets it down. And the first people to like um, be scratched off a small budget shoot is the soundie. <laughs> oh, like, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like whether it's ADR, it, whether it's like the onset, like recording someone's, someone's dialogue or it's capturing you know, wild sound or even capturing room tone, it's a thing that... If you're a director, you always have to remind your team, especially when it's a small crew. You know, we just did this. We were working at the MBS Stadium in um, Atlanta, and I'd have to remind almost every time, like right, right when we're done with uh, you know recording an interview, even like get everybody to stop. Everybody wants to you know collapse. They want to get the lights down. They want to let the talent go. It's like wait, wait, like can I just get thirty seconds of room tone before everybody runs? And you have to remind them every every change you move to a new space. Um, just because having that little bit of <laughs> space, like volume on the audio side helps so much for people to just pay attention. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, audio, honestly, like it's, it's as a creative director, it's something I try to use as a tool, even if it's on a bigger project, making like a Spotify playlist for my team to say, hey, while you're working, just, just have this playlist playing, you know, of these songs or this score or this soundtrack or, oh, there's this one great bit from The Incredibles. I want to mix that in with a couple Led Zeppelin songs that you'll never see or hear in the piece. But just if an animator's working or if a, a guy's lighting something, I want them to think of that that feeling. So yeah, cool. it definitely, it, it comes into play in so many different ways. Yeah, that's, that's really, really cool. I want to loop back to where you were talking about... Um, the size of that arena at 21,000 pixels, was it? Yes. Um, yep. yeah. So um, I've done some work for some stadiums, but nothing like that. That's just epic. But they're mm-hmm. always, um, they're quite low resolution because of the uh, distance, but that still sounds like a lot of pixels. But is it that same thing where um, it actually feels higher resolution because of the distance to the, from the crowd to that screen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you when you start getting with like that huge scale, which twenty one thousand pixels is a lot anyway, but um, you know you're never you're never closer than that, at least like a half a football field away, and it's at the top of the stadium. This uh, stadium has a roof that's retractable and bolted, basically hung off of the, that roof is this giant kind of oval shaped screen. Um, you really start talking about pixel density versus the the number of pixels, yeah. right? So we had we had essentially, which is something you don't really think of as a motion graphics artist. It's more of a you don't really think of the exactly with billboards. Very much think of that. Very very much so. We we had three main like three primary screens for this project. Um, that giant wraparound 360, which we called the Halo. We had a vertical screen that was it was I think it was 4K tall, but only like one and a half K wide, um, and then. And that was an interesting issue because not only were the pixels an issue, but it was at a place where you could stand directly underneath it or see it all the way directly from across the football field. And we actually had to tune the way the LEDs were aimed so that they would get the maximum amount of viewing from both like a straight line of sight and for as close to underneath as you could get and still see it. Because if you're right underneath it, you imagine those LEDs have a a field like almost like a, a camera has a cone. Those, if you're looking underneath, it goes black. Like yeah. literally, if you go underneath and look up. Um, so there, there's so many considerations when you get into these spaces for, you know, more than you're staring at your, your monitor, you know, making sure that the animation looks right. Um, we had another screen that the pixel density was so tight 
Um, it was curved, but it I think it was – I'm trying to remember the resolution. It was actually the toughest screen to make for, even though it was the smallest, because the pixel density was so tight it looked like an iPad. Like, like you had to get right up to it to even see the LED, kind of the separation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the types of screens we're dealing with now, there's so much variety based on the situations, based on the viewing distance, based on the viewing angle, um, that it's not just horsepower on your machine. There's so many more creative decisions. Yeah. Uh, as, as you're talking about these screens and also earlier that you've just come back from Tokyo and Blade Runner coming out this year, <laughs> it feels like we're definitely on that road to all that intense um, signage, especially when... Um, AR and MR come into a reality mm-hmm. in some form in the future for every day. Uh, you know, the canvases that we have to pick up on the wording that you use, it's just growing mm-hmm. and growing. And I feel like we're just at the start of this as well. It's, it's almost like when, um, you know, when you have phones, who knew that phones were going to turn into what they are now? It's, right. it's so much more. Um, so, yeah, really, really exciting for a company like DK who um, really are so well-known and, and the imaginary forces that you've been at as well. And mm-hmm. you as well. Um, Ryan Summers, I can't believe I'm a little bit f- having a fanboy moment right now. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I will that's a, that's to, ridiculous. You're, you're quite prolific on the net, bro. So Thanks. Yeah, it's... it's um, it's quite nice to actually see your face because I'm just used to that Twitter <laughs> picture. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten in trouble. I've gotten in trouble with that Twitter picture surprisingly before. I've had actually people who I met in real life. You know, that honestly, that that's one of the best things about being in the motion graphics industry is like you can have people that you've met met you know online for multiple years, and uh, when you finally like walk up to somebody at something like NAB or NodeFest or Seagraph, and then you have that kind of like split split second thing where you're like, I think I know you. And then you say what your Twitter handle is, or like I, at this point now, I actually put my, my Twitter icon, my avatar on like the badges. I have nice. a little sticker nice. so people know. But you have that moment of realization like, oh, sh-, like I actually know you. I've talked <laughs> to you for four or five years. Like that's amazing. But yeah, my Twitter handle, I've actually met people in real life. They're like, oh, I know you on Twitter. I don't follow you though because I thought you're some scary dude, like some scary wrestler dude. Uh, I've, I've actually considered changing the picture, um, but it's been it, it that's been my icon for so long that I don't want to change it. No, no, uh, definitely you can't. You can't. No, no, it's um, kind of a, not a brand, but it's one thing that people recognize. It's 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 really really easy to spot in the Twitter feed. So. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and, and you've, you've got a lot of gold in that feed. I've been enjoying just sort of uh, your experience, uh, the few tweets that you've had from Tokyo, um, mm-hmm. like uh, udon. I'm just like so jealous of that. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. That's half the reason to go to Japan is just for the food. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, Japan is definitely one of my um, top lists to visit. And mm-hmm. then um, I thought it was really cool. You're talking about going to Starbucks, having a coffee, and then some kid comes up and starts <sighs> chatting to you about anime and like mm-hmm. 20 minutes later you say you got a you got a new friend oh yeah yeah we're instagram buddies now <laughs> like it's dude the the world we live in for for especially living in the states right now for as toxic as as it feels like at times and for as as paranoid and as pressure filled as it feels sometimes those moments are we're like I, I wouldn't trade where we're at right now for anything the ability to kind of take whatever you love and meet people and find people online and create community and then turn those into real physical relationships, yeah. you know, but just by, you know, taking a trip somewhere like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that didn't exist at all. So I, I'll take the good with the bad and be able to have those opportunities. It's worth everything. Yeah. 
And we um, before the show, we, we were having a little chat and um, talking about NodeFest and um, how Brett Morris, that's where the conversation started, uh, was speaking mm-hmm. there this year. And yeah, um, I know that James, yes, Captain, would love to have the likes of yourself there, but I'd um, love to see more of America coming down to Australasia and hanging out with us motion designers down here too. Yeah, oh, I would, I've been down there, man. I, I went down, I did the... I got called kind of in an emergency to help with uh, Pause Fest a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, title sequence. And, um, man, I, I would love for there to be, like, a, a talent exchange. Because yeah. you guys have a great, like, Australia, New Zealand, Japan. Th- there's a great motion design scene and, and just illustration, graphic design, excuse me, art scene that I wish there was a little bit more back and forth because it, it, it would be really inspiring. I feel like, you know, I, I was in Chicago and I was trying to get into motion design a long time ago now, probably eight or nine years ago. And I didn't feel like the community was there. And I was like, I got to go to LA or I've got to go to New York. Um, and in the kind of convening, I guess, decade almost now at this point, man, the, the motion design just kind of community across the world's exploded. Yeah. And it feels like when I was in school a long time ago, um, I felt like the visual effects world was kind of having this explosion with like 3D Studio Max and, you know, like CG Talk. There were these places where people were just starting to kind of coalesce together and share and people were making plugins and helping create like workflow kind of scripts. And it just in the kind of two years when I first started learning to when I got out and I started working, there's just this explosion in kind of the visual effects world kind of rooted in Seagraph, that kind of Seagraph nature of if you come up with something, you share it, you don't hide it. Um, and I feel like in the last few years, there's just the motion design industry between Twitter, between the motion design Slack, between all these great kind of local kind of regional meet- meetups that then turn into kind of national meetups, stuff like Node, stuff like Blendfest. Um, yeah. Man, it's just like it's almost a full-time job just to keep up with the community, with yeah. everything that's going on. Totally, totally agree. I was literally um, – I was thinking of Blend and Node as well, but these Slack groups, like you said, um, you know, I, Slack's awesome because you can jump in and out. Um, some are a lot, a little bit more intense, like the Grayscale Gorilla <laughs> Slack group yeah. is pretty full on, and then the Motion Design Slack group's even bigger. But then you yeah. got little Slack groups like um, Node and Pro Video Slack group, and it's um, you know real conversations with real people that you can meet, and I think you're bang on that. 10 years ago we didn't have this and Mm-mm. you know I've, I'm encouraging graduates who are coming out of school to jump into these groups and straight oh, yeah. away they're connecting with legends of the industry mm-hmm. yeah so different oh yeah I, I get so many questions of like would you look at my demo reel would you tell me what I, where I should go who should I or, or how can I get a job somewhere? What what should I learn Houdini? Should I learn X particles? And man, the one thing I, I, I think the state of at least in here in the States, um, short of maybe Art Center and SCAD, the state of brick and mortar education is abysmal. It's atrocious. It it, it blows my mind how expensive versus what you actually receive, like, like the value is is almost non existent to me. And then when I see people coming out without any kind of um social skills. I guess is probably the, the easiest yeah. way to say it, but like any kind of like street street sense, any kind of sense of like how to work in a, a work environment, any sense of promotion or networking. Like I tell almost everybody, I'm like, look, man, like if you have the basic skill set, if you have the basic kind of graphic design principles down, um, if you know how to keyframe, you know, you understand timing. 
uh, I would spend all of my time the moment I graduated from school networking, and I would spend it the first, the last two years of school as well. I would spend all my time getting on Twitter, starting personal projects, getting on Slack, reaching out to people at studios. I have people ask me all the time, "How do I get to Buck?" I'm like, "Man, like, go online and find the the three junior animators that are working on the most recent Buck piece you like. Hit them up on LinkedIn, email them, and start having conversations. Start building your network from the ground up. Like, don't send it yeah. to to Orion. Don't send it to Ryan. Don't send it out to you know like the hr person because they're that's just static to them but there's easy ways to find your way into it that people just don't think about don't entertain it's it's even easier than that it's like join the node slack group post post, post your work there gareth Mm -hmm. is there every day (laughs) you know you've got a creative director of the sydney office who's like hanging Mm -hmm. out and chatting and looking so and there's not that many pieces of work in the feed so share what you're doing yeah. And yeah, and um, it, I think it's really, really easy to um, get your work in front of like some um, pretty influential eyes. Oh yeah, I mean that that's a great thing about the industry is that it's growing. It's still I, I say this all the time is like I feel like probably right around the time um, I, I'm trying to think of the name of it now I can't remember. Um, there was the Happiness Factory, the Psyop piece from a oh, while ago. Yeah, it was yeah. a Coca Cola. Like I feel like that was a, a, like a, a for me like a, a stake in the ground of. Well, motion design isn't just like cut out 2D animation. It's full on, you know, almost Pixar level CG. It can be live action. It can be photographic. It can be stylized. But I feel like that that year, whatever year that was, it was almost like a a, a volcano exploded, right? And lava just went everywhere. Like it, it reached all like all different disciplines, all different places, all different possible clients. And we're still in that cooling stage. Like it still hasn't like completely like solidified and everybody understands these are the rules and this is the box that it's in. It's, it's still kind of like reaching further and further out in terms of where you can work and what you can do. Um, and because of that, I think that there's just so many people that are just, they're hungry to find talent. They're hungry to help people lift up. Um, I think something you said about the Slack, like I don't even think it's necessarily about showing the work. Um, like the work is the work and like you need to show a certain level of like capability, but um, I try to tell like students, I teach at MoGraph Mentor, I'm getting ready to start um, something at School of Motion. I've taught at, you know, brick and mortar schools before. Uh, the thing I tell people all the time is like, you have to be somebody I want to work with. Yeah. Like I have run into so many really talented people that if I have a 911 job, like say I, I, I need somebody to come in and do a Houdini particle system for a fly knit Nike thing, right? I already have the eight guys that I know to call because it's the same eight guys everybody else has. And I'm not going to try, you know, a kid who's brand new on that. But for the meat and potatoes, like the the work that like, I've got 12 Reese's Pieces videos that I have to get done, and they're all kind of the same level of quality, I want new people. I want to bring those new people in. And they don't have to be amazing at cinema, or I can teach them, or I can have a file that's already kind of set up for them to finish. I want to find people that are fun to work with, people that, like, don't bring the team down, people that kind of add, you know, motivation or inspiration or make everybody excited to show up the next day. That you can do. That you can sell while you're networking, while you're still a year out of school. Um, And that's stuff that, honestly, like, I have found really talented people that I haven't brought on because I know they won't fit in with the team. Yeah. And I bring in somebody who's like kind of okay, but really like willing to grow. Um, but they just got an energy. They've got an excitement. They've got a spark. Cause you know, you go into these shops and there's people who've been working for seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. People are ground down. People are burnt out. They don't want to work with somebody that's going to make it even worse. That's going to complain or is going to, you know, brag or have ego that gets in the way. They just want to have, you know, a good time while they're trying to get their day done. Yeah. Oh, so many good points, and I totally agree with you. Um, you want to? <laughs> if I'm sitting next to someone, I don't want them to be a dick. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, or, or an energy drain, or you know, like you want you want some something to help you. Like, man, I'm sure you've done it, but when you're at work at two in the morning for the third day in a row because you got a deadline, you know, in a day, you want to look to the guy next to you and be like, "All right, cool, I can make it a few more hours because we're gonna have a good story, or we're gonna have yeah. a good laugh, or you know, something." I don't want it to be another person like who's complaining the whole time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the, um, your thoughts on schools is really interesting because I've just been. Going through a little situation at the moment where I'm trying to find new staff members and mm-hmm. I feel that the quality of students that are available, um, and I'm looking at even, I, I'm not looking for a grad, I'm looking for someone with a couple of years experience, but I'm just looking mm-hmm. at what, who's coming out of these schools and yeah, I was talking to Joey Corrinman on yep. email just about how pissed off and upset I am about what's mm-hmm. happening with the schools and that... Um, yeah, there's some graduates who are paying some really big money and really, you know, and they're graduating and they don't have anything. They don't have yep. basic knowledge. They don't have anything on their portfolio. And I'm sending them to the School of Motion to get the yep. skills that they should have had. Um, yeah, and, and it's really frustrating because um, the number of schools that have popped up, the brick and mortars, has been mm-hmm. more than when I was studying, but the quality of students has decreased. Yeah. And, and it just means that you're trying to find that needle in a haystack. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and that's why, for a long time locally, I started Facebook groups to try and find people, just to, so that hopefully the word would get out that, hey, we're here, come and join us, right. meet up. Because when you're trying to find a freelancer or, or a staff member and, and you only, you know, projects are piling up, you want to have already met them, hung out with them, had a drink. Exactly. Got to yep. feel them out a bit, yeah. So joining, you know, what you were saying earlier about joining these groups, trying to meet up where you can, yeah, that is literally going to make or break future opportunities. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, I, I, there's something going on out there because I know I can't find people. Like, I'm in the Midwest in, in the United States. In, the, you know, the largest market in, in the Midwest, probably the third or fourth largest market in North America for, for motion design, if, if not probably second or third. Um, I can't find people. Like just in general, man, like I can't find people that I can sit down, give an assignment and know that in three days they're going to have something I can as a CD say yes, no, fix this, change that. And then at the end of the week, have something to send out to my client. Like I have literally probably I've worked with probably five of the heavyweight best freelancers here, which we've been very fortunate and lucky to work with and have them come back. And, And then the drop off from that to entry level. What, what for some reason in the States everybody says is generalist, but isn't generalist is just, I don't, I'm not good at any one thing. So I'll say I'm a, I'm a generalist. Um, it, it falls off so fast. But then when I talk to people that hit me up online, they're like, oh man, how do I get a job? How do I find a, you know, how do I, th- there's a disparity. There's something there that that's not connecting. And I think that that's why you're seeing the explosion of places like Learn Squared and School of Motion and MoGraph Mentor, yeah. because there are people getting out of school. They, all the stuff we're talking about is simple. It's supply and demand, right? Yeah, yeah. It's very easy to, to rent a space, create a curriculum, get computers and get the software. The software, the costs come so far down. Hardware cost is almost negligible at this point. Um, and there's a lot of people who, who really want the dream of being an animator or be a designer, but they don't understand what the kind of reality is. And then you have all these people that they have no design you know, fundamentals. They have no storytelling fundamentals. They 
have, I mean, it's why every single one a day from Octane or Redshift looks exactly the same. People chase Beeple, people chase the easy thing. Everything's got, you know, like glints and glares and all the fun little things you get out of Octane right out of the box. But there's no color theory. There's no spatial design. There's no storytelling. Um, and that's not even talking about like professionalism. You know, that's not even talking about the simple naming conventions, saving, you know, often, yeah. um, working in an organized kind of controlled fashion, being able to communicate, like all the things you have to have to be an entry level you know, workaday artist. It's so hard to find those, man. Like I'm literally reaching out and in Chicago, I'm finding people in Minnesota and people in LA and people in Washington state or people in Europe to work on jobs with me because I just, I'm, it, it's so hard to find quality, you know, working generalists in, in CG or in motion graphics. Yep. I agree. And yeah, I've, I've definitely found that myself and um, I, I have high hopes for School of Motion, which is why I wanted yep. Joey on so soon. I think what he's providing the global industry is, is, is awesome. And um, he could literally take that list of things that you just put, put into a new course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and um, I could, I could, Point a few people to that course to pick yeah, up. Yeah, that, that might be what, we're, what Joey and I are talking about. <laughs> that might be what I do every uh, Sunday for an hour with Joey. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I think that as the industry grows out, we need to mature with what um, yeah. our expectations are. It's something I found really hard when I was graduating is um, everyone wanted to work at Weta and be a visual yeah. effects artist because, you know, that was you know, uh, a few years ago now. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. as, a, as a student, it, it was all about VFX and it still is a lot today in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. But um, the number of jobs in those roles are very small compared to the opportunities in motion design when you look mm-hmm. at all the skill sets and um, executions that you can provide and and Joey says it a lot. There's a lot of customers out there that you can go direct yep. to client with. Um, you just got to mm-hmm. find them and help them. And yeah, so great opportunities. And yeah, just got to support and build up this uh, maturing industry of ours. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I think maturing is the right word. I, the other thing I talk to, to students all the time is everybody. When I was teaching um, before I left uh, Chicago for LA. I was teaching uh, animation classes and the answer all the time was, you know, like trying to figure out students. They're always like, I want to work at Pixar, like first job out. And if not that, I could work at DreamWorks. But, you know, like I really like to work at Pixar. <laughs> and I always tell people all the time, like, watch one of those movies. Watch an animated movie. I know this firsthand. My, my best friend is an animator at Disney. Um, and he worked a long time, worked through video games, worked through a bunch of ways to get there, did, did more boot camps and more training than I've ever seen anybody do. And, and he's at Disney. And, and, you know, he always tells me, like, look at look at the titles or look at the um, credits at the end of the film and just count how many animators there actually are on a feature film. Right. And it blows me away for the last, I'd say, three or four years up until either last either Moana or the movie before they would only have between 50 and 60 animators. And that number seemed like it dropped five or six every time, but they'd have less and less time to get the movie done. Right. So if you think about that, let's say there's there's 10, which is probably a high number now, 10 animated features every year. Net, you know, nationwide in the states, worldwide, maybe you know, five, six more. But say there's ten and there's fifty animators per movie. There's five hundred spots yeah. for you to be a feature yeah. animator, right? Yeah. That's people who have spent ten, fifteen, twenty years to get there, right? Like you have a better chance being a major league baseball player or someone in the NFL or being a, a congressman than you do being a feature animator. 
That doesn't mean that you can't animate. That doesn't mean that there's not a place to animate. That doesn't mean that there's not, you know, a million companies that could use that skill set, um, especially now. I mean, video games, uh, mobile, VR, AR startups. There's so many places that want that skill set, but everybody just looks for that one job. And then they don't realize that, you know, like it's not impossible, but the dedication is going to be so single minded and the sacrifice is going to be so strong that I think people lose sense of like why they get into the industry yeah. or what they enjoy once they actually even start doing it. Um, the prestige, that, the yeah, prestige it, it's, just knocks it out and it's unrealistic. It's, and I think people don't really realize why they want to do it. Like the hours that go into, like my buddy is at the top, top of the food chain, right? If you knew how many hours he was working, those guys were working to get done what they get done. It's insane. Like it's, it's mind blowing at the top level that, you know, like the amount of hours an animator on Moana or Zootopia would work consistently for months to get that thing out. Um, it, it's, it never gets easy. It never slows down. It never, you know, it, the tools are great, but they just, the expectations are higher. Um, but that's why I try to teach people besides the networking. I, I try as much as I can when I've been at MoGraph Mentor, hopefully with School of Motion, that one of the things you should be thinking about as a student is finding your voice. And, and, and that's, that's about finding like what, what it is you like animating, but why you like animating, who you want to reach, you know, who you want to, to express your vision to. It's not just a product. Um, because the biggest thing I think in motion design that, that is untapped, there's probably five people doing it right now, is I, I say this all the time, is that we spend so much time making product for other people, right? We're doing commercials. We're doing explainer videos. But we have the one skill set, I think, that allows you to become the actual product. And we've seen it with guys like Nick. We've seen it guys like Ash. Joey is a great example. Um, but I think it extends beyond just teaching other people. I think there's an incredible opportunity for motion designers to create product, to create things the same way musicians do, right? There's a lot of people who learn to play guitar and they want to be the Rolling Stones or they want to be in a band. They want to be U2 and they realize like that's insane. And then they teach and then they kind of go away. But there's so many other ways for someone like us to actually make product. And I feel like that's something beyond even just the training world that is an untapped potential for, for motion designers. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm always going to agree with you because you speak <laughs> such honesty and it's like I'm seeing this all the time, you know. Um, Liam Clisham's, um mm-hmm. his episode would have released by the time this is out and he's he's doing Redshift uh, with Brograph mm-hmm. and those guys but he started to put out some material packs and I can see him dipping his toes in the water of putting some products out there and like good on him you know it's, it's yeah. giving people an opportunity to say thanks for like putting out all this content that you've helped educate me and mm-hmm. yes yeah, sweet I get some material packs that I can buy and help support this community and you know obviously Nick's just you know he's he's a god when it's come to it because he just built this grayscale gorilla empire <laughs> yeah like what it what it is is just brilliant he's put it so yep. much work into it but um on a smaller scale um we can help support each other and at the same time those products that are being built save us time save us energy yep. get us to mm-hmm. our end goals faster as well so yep. i yeah. think there's i think there's even a step beyond that i i, I think there's the, i think that's a really smart way to go i think at a certain point we're going to reach a saturation level of like there's only so many kind of like custom brushes and textures and, and ways uh, like things to sell. I, I'm talking even beyond that to the point of like, why if I'm working on a $650,000 spot that it involves storytelling and character design and lighting and rendering and storyboarding and editing, and I'm doing all of that with a five person team and it goes out to a company that, you know, turns around and sells a product. 
why can't that same four or five, six person team find a way to make their own product and, and sell that? We have Kickstarter, we have Patreon, we have Gumroad, we have all the, all the channels and all of the, the manufacturing and all of the distribution exist. We're, we're using it right now for the people that we're getting paid you know, a fee-based, you know, salary that hopefully, you know, makes us enough to have a good living. But why, why is that the limited scale of our potential? And then maybe cannibalizing that stuff to turn around and sell to fellow, fellow artists. Like, I think that there's a whole nother level beyond that, that, you know, like I look and see some of the best storytellers in the world out there. I look at guys like, um, the guys at Oddfellows, the guys at Gunner, the guys at Golden Wolf, they're literally making the commercials for things like Cartoon Network, for Facebook, for you know, Google, that everyone goes and buys those products. You know, like why can't that have the same entertainment value or the same those skills create the same kind of things that we can operate on a scale like that? Like why can't we make product the same way we kind of create the product for other people? Yeah. Uh, some really good thoughts for everybody to um to ponder on and um I, I kind of feel that we, we are an easily distracted group of people mm-hmm. because we want to jump into the work and yeah. and thinking about the bigger picture is a lot harder <laughs> mm-hmm. and actually taking that time and, and it's it's very easy to work hard and not get very far versus yeah. like thinking big and and um sticking with it for a long time to have that bigger picture so mm-hmm. yeah um takes visionaries yeah. like you so you show us how it's done and we'll follow. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see how, I mean, every, I think every, around this time every year, I'm always like, okay, this is the year that I learned X, Y, and Z. I applied it to, you know, my employer. Next year is going to be the year I do the same thing for me. You know, like, yeah. okay, if I learn how to do this, like this year, I got a half step that way. I got my first photo published. I got my first photo in a gallery. I did all the, almost all the visual effects for an independent feature film that got in theaters. It's on Netflix right now. It was on iTunes for people to buy. You know, so I got a half step towards that. You know, like the, my, the distance between me and, and my product is a lot shorter. Um, yeah. But I, I, I wish everybody, it's probably frustrating too, because real life kind of steps in the way until it does become real life. But uh, yeah, like this year I have a bunch of plans for, you know, I have an animated short, I have a script, I have things I want to pitch to people um, that all sound like pipe dreams until you meet people who've actually done it. And then you wonder, I've been very lucky to be in very close proximity to some people who did that. They spent six months or eight months in a year at the beginning of the year, created something, went out into the world, and two of them directed feature films for major studios. A buddy of mine did a really beautiful short got noticed by someone and six months later he was on set directing the maze runner films. Um, another person that I worked really closely with did a short for, um, the portal video games, just like a fan run one. And two years later he was directing 10 Cloverfield lane. So the distance between your skill set right now, your ability to create visuals and create emotion through storytelling can literally turn into a complete career shift, a complete career change yeah. with the stuff you're doing right now. Do you find that those people had um, very fixed ideas of w- what their end goals were? Or, yes. Because you know, I, I find talking with a lot of people, um, those people who are very passionate and focused and just have to, they can't, they can't help themselves. They have to make the work. And, and that journey mm-hmm. is like literally they have to walk that road. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they were. I think they definitely were people who were like, one day they said, I'm going to make a feature film. And they didn't know how, but they knew what they had. They knew what they had to learn. They knew what they had to achieve. And they tried. And I'm sure there's 
just as many people who, you know, get that far, they make their short and it goes unnoticed. But I think for us as motion designers, we don't have as many examples yet of people who have done that. Like that road, I'm not saying everybody needs to try to make a feature film, but I do think there's something to be said that when you're at work and you're frustrated or when you're at work and you're tired or like me, when you're at work and you're pushing on like a crazy 60, 70 hour a week deadline and for some reason your creativity opens up and you're like, oh man, if I just had time, I have these three ideas that I never would have thought of, but they always seem to come when you're at that worst like <laughs> deadline moment when you should, you're like, all you want to do is do this other thing. Yeah. Um, we need three or four people to kind of make it out in the world where they actually do that project and show that there's something that can complement or supplement or can show that there's something where you don't have to just be in an employer-employee relationship where you can kind of control your destiny. Yeah. Because I think that the Ashes and, and the, the Nicks and the Joys are great, but I also think there's only so many of those. We need, yeah. we need the, the kind of narrative-based or product-based kind of either storytelling or entrepreneurial kind of sense of those guys we yeah. need those on the creative side. And I think after that happens, I'm already starting to see it on the animation side. My friends that are, that are 2D animators and 3D animators, I know a couple of people that have been at Disney for four or five films in a row that have actually left and started their own companies doing VR or AR. Not necessarily like exactly what they did, but their animation and storytelling skills literally turned into them doing a short or a small product demo. And now they're running a VC funded company with 15 or 20 employees. Not that that's what everybody wants, but when I, I meet so many people that get so frustrated and I'm like, man, like take, take, carve out a little bit of that frustration, a little bit of that energy and apply it every Sunday at, to something and find out what that could be. Um, I think that's our biggest barrier is that people are willing to work really hard. People are willing to put a lot of personal capital into learning new, new tools, um, but they're not, they haven't been shown the example of how to then make that work for them yet. So yeah. I'm hoping that's the next step in the next two or three years. I'm not saying burn down all the studios or stop doing, <laughs> you know, commercial work, but I just think that when I, I, as I get older and I see people that are older and I see the kind of, you know, just frustration, not resentment, not anger, not wanting to quit, but just like that frustration seeping of like, oh, I got somewhere where I thought I wanted to go when I was in 2025. 20, and now it's like, I don't know if that's really the end game yet. I think there's something more still for us all to discover. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so many interesting thoughts there. And as you were talking, um, that frustration and that ownership, it really reminded me of what happened with the visual effects as an industry as well. Yeah. Where the, the, the studios are the main owners and they set up the, um, the situation and they own everything. And it's like th this talented pool of artists yep. literally there's so many films that just hinge just on their ability it's like why are yeah. they not the ones making it and owning it you know because the yeah and and i could see that motion design as you said earlier is sort of following a little bit behind in that whole trajectory as well mm -hmm. so yeah uh, you know artists making it for themselves and, and I, I i really do hope that the future it's easier for people to distribute it themselves i think we do need to have a few that just knock it out of the park to show the rest like you said mm -hmm. yeah okay man i want to um i want to talk a little bit about um some of your work and the work that you've done um sure just because yeah i've just always been a fan of what you've been creating and i i really enjoyed um we're talking about animation and 3D, but I really like 2D animation. And, oh, um, me too. The Google, the Google spot I thought was just awesome and the light mm -hmm. and the character and, and, and again, the color palette, the principles mm -hmm. of design, everything's in there. And it's like, it's, yeah, it's such a cool pace. Do, do you mind sharing? Um, that was with Oddfellows, wasn't it? 
Yeah. Yeah. That mm-hmm. one. Um, do you, Do you want to just um just explain to the audience, and we'll have links to this and everything else that we talk about um in the show notes. Uh, just what that piece is, and um your input on that and um, how that project was for you as an animator and motion designer. Sure. It was, it was awesome. I mean, I, I'm, I'm much the same way. I got into this whole thing. I've talked about another podcast before, but I, I was actually a chemical engineer before I ever gotten anything, but I, I never considered a, a life as a, a capital A artist um, just because of where I came from and how I grew up and just everything was really based on kind of like get a job that can get money so you can survive. Um, but when I made the switch, you know, like I, I went to school for 2D animation and very quickly, like within our first semester, me and two of my buddies were like, there are no jobs in Chicago for 2D animation. And we actually had some really great studios. The, the one actually still exists, but we had a studio that was doing a lot of um, Warner Brothers 2D TV animation, Animaniacs, Tiny Toons, like that era. Um, and they just had folded. And then there was another studio that did a lot of like 2D cartoon kind of like commercials. And they were kind of like, there was some worry about them. Um, so we switched to 3D. But 2D has always been in my heart, man. Like, like that's one thing that I think is really weird if, I, if you go to my Vimeo page is that there's, there isn't like one thing. Like for as much as I talk about finding your, your voice. I don't think I really have a, like a discernible like look or style, which is good, and it's, let, it's allowed me to work in a lot of different places. But man, like two D, I draw all the time. I love two D animation. Um, that's my favorite stuff. Going to Japan was such a highlight because it, you know it's a heart of so much of the animation that I loved growing up. Um, but yeah, the, I, I when I left Imaginary Forces, my goal was to kind of be a little bit like. Um, Bruce Wayne trained to be Batman. I wanted to go to like every single shop I could and learn something about the way they worked or their techniques or find some great designers or animators to kind of study under for a month or two at a time. And uh, I was really, really fortunate. One of my really good friends, Jordan Scott, um, had lived in LA for a little while. Another guy who I met online, we talked a lot, struck up a friendship. He moved to LA and he happened to move like two blocks away from me. Um, we talked a lot about 2D animation. He was, he was really, at that point, a really great designer, and he was learning animation. Um, and I saw him like in like a year or two just explode from, from being a great illustrator, great designer. Um, and then he started, I think he worked at like Buck and Gentleman Scholar, a bunch of different places. Um, and his skill set just really exploded for animation. And then uh, he left LA right before I left, and he went to Oddfellows, which was amazing. Um, and then at, somewhere along the way, I, I was doing a lot of like short-term freelance trying to get to a bunch of different places. And he asked if uh, I was interested and I actually freelanced for odd fellows from home. It was my first experience of freelancing, you know, in my home office, working on my laptop. Um, yeah. And I had done before that piece, I'd done a couple little kind of quick cleanups. I was just kind of like a nine one one. They need an extra hand. And I'd done a lot of 2d um, stuff at Royale, a lot of kind of after effects based kind of puppet rig, do it. Um, quick turnaround stuff and uh i jumped in and then they gave me that that google spot which was really fun i really i did the first 20 seconds of it probably the first i think it's a 30 second piece the first two-thirds of it and it was awesome i i will find the name of the designer i can't remember his name but they have they have just a roster of amazing artists um i'm trying to think who's there now on staff they have a great roster but they like their rolodex is like if you ever wanted to make a MoGraph mission impossible, it'd be like trying to go in and steal an odd fellows kind of Rolodex of who they have working for him. Cause it just, even on the design side, it's, it's insane. Um, but yeah, I basically was given, I think it's two or three illustrate giant artboards of illustrator files full of character designs. And they basically told me like, pick, pick 10 to 12 of them. It has to be four or five specific ones. Um, and then, uh, just lay it out. Right. Like I got this, another great, uh, illustrator file that was just boards of the same characters kind of just placed out and, uh, written descriptions. And the guys at Oddfellows are so ridiculously collaborative. Like they, 
I was shocked. They never really worked with me that much. Just on Jordan's kind of recommendation, they give you so much creative freedom. They're like, okay, this is what it needs to happen. It's about a 15 to 20 second shot. We've got it mostly timed out. We need these two story points to happen. But you know what? You go just rough it out now. Figure it out. Just time it out um, and kind of pitch it to us. So it, it was daunting. It definitely, you know, like when you work for companies, I've been very fortunate to work for companies that I've admired for a long time. Like Blur, DK, Imaginary Forces, Royale. They're all companies that have been around for a long time that have just amazing demo reels. Um, but Oddfellas, even though they're a relatively newer company, man, like they, their stuff, it, it's just it's heads and shoulders above everyone else. Yeah. There's such a decided voice. It's so well designed. The animation's impeccable. Um, so yeah, so it was a little intimidating. But that that one thing ended up being, I think it was twelve rigged characters, a twenty second shot, you know, a sustained straight through shot, and I think it was like. Three days to pitch it, and then the like another seven days to animate it. You know, like it was a lot. Like that's a lot of characters to rig. A huge um, and and when you work for them, you want it to be as good as you can make it. So yeah. basically, I, I I think if I remember right, there's like a, a like a reddish kind of Viking dude um, that kind of jumps in. So I basically pitched them the idea just with placement, um, but no animation, just sliding characters around. And I told him, like, let me, let me animate one character and see if this is hitting the level of kind of, like, fidelity and kind of, like, you know, how cartoony. The characters are very stylized and very simple. Um, so I wasn't sure how far we could push the kind of, like, cartoony nature of it. Um, so I pushed that one as far as I, I felt like I could and to still have time to animate them. But there's a lot of, you know, it's rigged with Duick, but there's a lot of um, puppet pin stuff on top. Because Puppet Pin's a little rough. I, I, I'm still super frustrated with it. Yeah. Um, but there's essentially there's a lot of control pins, right? I took a lot of the mentality of rigging 3D characters where you have null controllers or things to kind of hold shapes. So the, essentially there'll be, there'll be Puppet Pins that you don't animate, but then they're parented through, not through parenting, but through expressions to be certain percentages. So let's say something on his chest, right? He has a shoulder that's going to move with the arm with IK, but you don't want the shape of the design to really get messed up. And Puppet Pin tends to collapse on itself yeah um so there's a bunch of little controllers that are like essentially tied to other nulls at like 20 percent and 80 percent and that just takes forever to test in after effects but i got the animation down to where i liked it there's a bunch of follow-through on like his little kilt that's all hand animated with a bezier warp that's parented to the the actual object and they approved it which was great but then i had to go and rig all the other characters to get it kind of to the same level um so it, it was fun it was daunting it was i kind of over rigged some stuff just to make sure i had control um, but man, that, that is, I hate using this term, but it's so true. It, that is one of the jobs in the last two or three years where you just hit that flow state yeah. and time just disappears, man. I, my wife would knock on the door and come in and be like, Hey, do you want dinner? It's seven o'clock. I'm like, no, I'll eat a little bit. And then she'd knock on the door before she'd go to bed. And it was like midnight. And it wasn't like, I was like, Oh, I'm so behind. It was just so much fun. You enjoy yourself so much that, you know, those are the, those are the enviable moments. I think I work for, I, I hunt for, I hope for those moments. It shows through in the work. It's exceptional. A really, really cool spot. So I um, really like the listeners, um, you guys out there, to check that out. And now it's time for the Pro Video Picks. We're going to transition now to the Pro Video Picks. And uh, oh, awesome. we'll, we'll share some other insights and cool things for the audience. So, um, Ryan, what would be your Pro Video Pick for this week, mate? Um. I'm trying to think. I wrote down four, and that's too many. Um, 
but I'm trying to think what's the best one. I think the one that applying to what we just talked about, I wish I had it back when I was doing that Oddfellows piece. Yeah. There's a really cool little iPad app. There's a ton of animation apps, right, for the iPad. Um, but I'm, the one I like is probably the one people will scrunch their nose at because it's the simplest, but it's called Animatic. Cool. And it looks like it's a, an app for little kids, right? It's one of those things I love where, like, the best apps, especially on the iPad, when you're spending your whole day at work doing you know, millions of buttons, millions of controls, tons of new tools to learn, sometimes the best ones, again, talking about flow state, just being able to do something and lose yourself in the work. Um, Animatic is awesome because it's basically, I think there's like six or eight tools. You don't even have like a full color palette, an RGB color palette. Each tool just has like four or six colors you can pick from. Um, and it's basically just a frame-by-frame Etch-a-Sketch animator tool for your iPad. But cool. it is awesome. The, the fact that it's basically these really simple tools – yeah. It just lets you fr- d- just focus on 2D animation. It has um, like it has an onion skin feature. Um, if you get the pro version, it sounds like it's not that much, but it has the ability to go to 24 frames a second. It's kind of an arbitrary thing, but they only let you go up to about 16. It lets you go to 24. It lets you do hold frames, which is really awesome. Right. It lets you actually, instead of duplicating or deleting, it lets you say, like, hold this one for two or three frames. Um, and then the best thing is it, you can actually, this is where I think the pro nomenclature actually works. You can actually spit out through Creative Cloud um, layered Photoshop files. So what I do now is, like, I literally was doing this, like, when I was in Disney World on vacation. I've done it when I've just been standing in line for the train. Um, you can just draw, just doodle, like, really loose stuff. Um, but test your timing, test your animation, send it over the, through the cloud and then drop it into Photoshop. And with all the Kyle Webster brushes and all the kind of like um, animation little scripts and plugins, you can take it straight to final. And I actually did this for this about this time about a year ago. Um, there's a little, little title sequence he did for a comedy show called Detroiters. And I did a bunch of kind of secondary animation, little like horns doing like old school, like 2D style rubber hose animation, um, little effects animation, like smoke clouds coming off the back of a live action car. And I was able to just test all that stuff and then send it over now. It, it it's, sounds cool. silly, but it is actually a legitimate pro tool. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, it's the, that thing where play and work just mixes into one. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to get that for myself, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it to my oldest boy as a Christmas present. Yeah. <laughs> because he's, you know, it's funny. I just, I just did that actually. I was at, um, I was at a holiday party and, uh, one of the, the people that was there, they had two kids and somehow he heard that I was an animator, you know, and being a CG animator, it's really hard to like show what you do. Right. Like yeah, I'm not going to yeah. pull out my laptop and be like, yeah. And I, I, you know, let's build a particles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The most boring thing you could possibly do. Let's show you how to paint weights. Um, <laughs> but, but when you pull that out, that's the thing that's so amazing about it. like, there is still magic left in our industry because you yeah. can, I literally pulled out animatic, just showed him like five frames of a ball bounce. And that kid literally for two and a half hours, went away with no experience with animation, right? I just explained to him a little bit, like, this is follow through, this is how, like, you look, you can hold this frame and it sits there and it doesn't do anything. And like two and a half hours later, he came back and he had like this little space shuttle, basic shapes kind of blasting off. And the, everyone in his family was like, didn't know that I showed him how to do it. Like, he was just showing it to every person. Man, it's just, Mind-blowing. literally felt like you kickstarted a, a career yeah. in that simple moment with a simple tool like that. It was awesome. I, I, I really feel that um, kids growing up today are just going to be doing career training through osmosis of play yeah. um, just yeah. with the tools that are available it's amazing yeah i think that's why why all that stuff we talked about at the beginning of this that idea of communication and networking and professionalism and and 
I know I said it earlier, but living life as a capital A artist and all that means, you know, the idea of sharing your knowledge and searching for inspiration and giving, giving that back to whatever community you're in, yeah. that, that's the stuff that really will separate you. Because, I mean, we did the stuff, same stuff when we were kids, right? Like I had Etch-a-Sketch Animator 2000 and it was like 32 or 64 pixels by 64 pixels and it had a frame buffer and we watched cartoons and I remember, I remember getting my dad to buy a VCR that had a jog shuttle control so I could frame through Tarzan, right? Like yeah. I wanted to see how was Glenn Keane making Tarzan do what he did, right? It's the same stuff, but now it's just even more accessible at an even earlier stage. That's awesome. Okay, my pro video pick is going to be, um, it's, it's not the most um, creative, but I wanted to reflect upon someone in the pro video Slack group. Nigel Upchurch was looking for a good paper for a stroke. Oh, we all need mm-hmm. a good tapered stroke. But, you know, the obvious one I put out is um, Red Giant's uh, Trap Code Stroke. And he's like, mm-hmm. he's, he said, yeah, I've been meaning to buy that. How about a free mm-hmm. one? <laughs> so I had said, <laughs> uh, Video Copilot, you can use that. Right. Um, and that come from Corbin as a suggestion. Um, which, yeah, and Video Copilot, they're free their free plugins are amazing. I, I really mm-hmm. enjoy um, so many of them um, using console, you know, just save oh, all those clicks. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, so Video Copilot Saber. And then I also, f- um, another one that came up was uh, School of Motion. Have a stroke preset available when you sign in for uh, to the free account, to the free mm-hmm. area of their tr- site. And um, highly recommend everybody signing up to School of Motion because I think it's just a community you need to be a part of personally yeah and absolutely yeah and I, I wrote that down before i was talking to you about all the school emotion stuff so <laughs> awesome <laughs> i'm not feeding into the plug-in but <laughs> i believe in what i uh what i what i promote so i will never mm. put anything out to um to everybody out there that i don't believe in personally mm-hmm. um inspirational video ryan oh um let's see i had too many again um there was so talking about like 2D animation. Um, I don't know if people have seen it or not, but there there's a dude named Sergio Pablos who's probably we just mentioned Glenn Keane. He, he I, I go back and forth. He's he's in the top two living 2D animators alive. Um, and if you don't know who he is, you absolutely do know his work because he's the guy for better or worse who brought the world minions. So if you have kids and you're sick and tired of hearing those little yellow dudes, um, Sergio is responsible for it. Um, he basically was a, a 2d animator at the end of the, the kind of run at Disney. He did a really amazing character named Doppler and treasure planet it was probably the best reason to watch that movie. Um, but he left Disney and went and started his own 2d, 2d animation and kind of IP development studio. Um, it's called Sergio Pablo studio. Um, but uh, he has a new film that I think about a year or two ago, I was at CTN in, uh, in Burbank, and they were, he was showing and talking about this new 2D feature that kind of broke everyone's brains when they were there because it kind of looked 3D, it kind of looked 2D. It was still in his like, really beautiful, like, idiosyncratic, hand-drawn style, but the, the kind of intense shading and texturing kind of made it look 3D, and all of us were like, we don't... We don't, and he wouldn't talk about like the process. He was very coy about it. Um, he's like, we have a proprietary process. We're not going to give it away. Um, and he wouldn't give it away because they were trying to sell the movie. Um, but I think like three months ago, it just got announced that it's going to be the first first or second um, Netflix fully animated 2D feature that's being um, distributed worldwide through Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, but I put a link here um, to Cartoon Brew has an interview with him, which also shows the first trailer. And it is just mind-blowing. It's like this great melding of, of the kind of... 
you know, the magic of 2D with the kind of solidity and rigidity of, of what you think 3D gives you. Um, but man, that stuff inspires me so much just to see that there is still so much mileage left in motion graphics and animation and feature um, that we haven't seen at all. Cool. Excellent. Excellent. I'll be uh, looking forward to uh, watching that after I head off to work. After work. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I better, better head off soon, actually. It's um, morning here, and uh, yeah, I've got a full day of uh, animating to do, which will be fun. Excellent. But um, my pick is uh, from Blue Zoos, and it's Lynx and Birds. Uh, just a really cute little um, animation for Christmas and the spirit of Christmas. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I do love this time, seeing the work that comes out. And there's also a lot of um, a lot of companies just putting out little animations to say Merry yeah. Christmas. And I, I love all of those. This one's cute. Yeah, and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like uh, somehow studios still find time. And yeah. this is such a great time of year. But I'm like, man, like what – take that energy and do, do like your own IP or do something. Yeah. yeah I love that. Cause it, it's so, it's so separate from most studios efforts. It all, it's almost always the standout thing that a studio puts out in a year. Yeah. If they do a Christmas thing or they do a holiday thing or a Halloween thing, it's so inspiring. And it's so kind of like you get, you find what that voice of that studio is yep. when you do a project like that. Totally. Totally. Um, and who are you following online? Um, I, I think one of the best places you can go, um, my buddy Jordan posts so much great stuff through ice cream hater. Um, it's a weird name, but it is basically, if if you want to find the, and it's a lot of it is very, very strongly designed, very stylized, a lot of times 2d stuff. Um, but if you want to find the stuff that's going to pop up on Twitter three or four days later, inevitably it either shows up on, uh, wine after coffee or, Ice cream hater, but um, personally, I, I feel like Jordan's got a really eclectic um, sensibility, and you just see amazing stuff. If you're ever just want to see some inspiration, or get a little jealous about how good some people's keyframes are, um, Ice Cream Hater is, is like literally the first thing I check every morning. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, I've been following them for quite some time, and uh, yeah, I follow quite a lot, but uh, they're always inspirational videos to just make me feel inadequate. Anyway, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to have a big shout out to um, Aaron uh, Coverett, um on Twitter, and I'll have the link there. Sorry, I've got a cold. I'm getting over it. I'm feeling myself getting more and more blocked up. So, oh, no, no worries. <laughs> sorry, everyone, for um, the coughs and the sniffles uh, this episode. And it's summer over here in New Zealand. It's like the worst time to get a cold in the middle of oh, summer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to take the day off, I think. You're going to have to take the day off. Yeah, Christmas is looming, feeling that pressure. Uh, but uh, the reason why I'm shouting out Aaron is um, the dude's, uh, he's, his work is incredible. He's, a sh- you know, he's not long ago graduated, but he shared some um, of the work that he's been producing this week. And I'll have a link to his pin tweet. It's just exceptional, the quality of what he's doing. And I just like, mm-hmm. look at these, you know, we're talking about graduates and talent. This guy's just got talent and spades and it shows. And it shows that he's trying things. He's exploring. He's playing um, a lot of CG, but um, some really nice animation. I just think um, it, it reflects that he feels like someone that has many years under his belt. So to be less than a year mm-hmm. out in the industry, I just admire those types of um, people. So shout out to you, Aaron. And finally, Ryan, where can we all follow you online? 
Uh, the best place is Twitter and Instagram. The same handle. It's uh, Odernod, O-D-D-E-R-N-O-D. If you see a um, what looks like a screaming wrestler wearing a red mask, you found the right place. Where does that come from, Odernod? Oh, it, it's uh, this dude. Um, I was, as a kid, like a lot of us in the States, were super into professional wrestling. But uh, my brother and I, I don't know how this happened, but we really got into Japanese pro wrestling, which is another reason why it was so cool to go to Tokyo. Uh, it was like Mecca for a lot of different reasons. Um, but there's this big dude. He was like the first American to come into Japan. He's a giant 450-pound former football player. Um, and he basically just took the world by storm. Nice. Um, my brother and I, when we were very little kids, um, got to go to a show in the States that he happened to be on a tour. And he was like the big bad guy. Like his name's Big Van Vader. He's supposed to scare the shit out of everybody. Yeah. Um, and my brother and I stood on our chairs and went bonkers for the guy. Like crazy. <laughs> Two little, like like 10 and 6-year-old kids. And the whole audience was booing him. And he literally like came over to us. Like every every other time that he came back to Chicago... I, I, we felt like he remembered us because he'd always find us in the crowd because we were cheering for him. Um, but he's just amazing. Just big 450-pound dude that would do like backflips off the top nice. bro. Like just crazy dude. Yeah. Um, but I've, I just always enjoyed his energy his, and that, that picture is just like – I'm very, very forgettable when you see me. I'm, I'm white space marine dude. Like I look the same as everybody else, uh, bald and a beard. Um, I'm the, the prototypical CG artist. If you looked at me, but uh, that guy, Vader, is way more memorable. So a little bit of marketing and branding. Nice, nice. Well, it's um, like I said, it definitely stands out in the Twitter feed. <laughs> so, um, I, wrestling. Um, got an episode actually with motion designer that works for the um, uh, wrestling company. Oh, the name's WWE? Yes, yes. And oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. What's so, his, who, who is it? Um, oh, I'm so bad. <laughs> wow. uh, is it is the episode coming up or is it an episode that's already out? I've recorded it. I'll be listening to that right away. That'll be. I'm sure he has some amazing stories. Awesome. Uh, he's working at WWE, and um, yeah, that's coming out in the future. Um, I remember as a kid WWF, and it's so mm-hmm. funny that they had to change their name. I know they lost that battle, but um, I still I still say WWF all the time. <laughs> but um, as a Kiwi, you know. Uh, you're not really well presented as a New Zealander globally, so we had the Bushwhackers. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, I remember them. Yeah, not not the not the highest um, accolade for New Zealand, but yeah. No. Oh, we always had like a, at the end of Point Break where he was swimming out to sea that he was going to swim off to New Zealand as well. Uh-huh. You know, these little these little moments of um, media recognition for a whole country. Right. Right. Well, I mean, you've got what at least you've got you've got PJ and you've got you've yeah. got Lord of the Rings. That's a, a pretty good pop culture. We've definitely the last uh, ten years has been a lot better with uh, the likes of Flight of the Concord and um, mm-hmm. yeah, some great talent on show globally. But anyway, uh, back to hey, we're wrapping up the show. Sorry, I'm getting distracted. That happens. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Pro Video Podcast. Also, we've got the Facebook group. And um, come and join the Facebook group. Basically, I'm just mm-hmm. hammering it with cool stuff. I'm just putting in links to inspirational videos, uh, resources for CG, uh, Cinema 4D, After Effects. Um, yeah, just cinematography, lighting techniques, mm-hmm. which just translate from filming over to 3D. Um, just things that are going to be valuable. So I'm putting that into the Facebook group, putting that stuff into the Slack group. So come and join us there. Whatever works for you. I'm putting on Twitter. 
So I've got all my I've got all my social medias all automated, so it's nice and easy. Nice. But I make sure that I'm putting <laughs> quality stuff out there. Um, nice. And occasionally a plug for this show. So you might occasionally hear me say, "Hey, subscribe, rate, and review." <laughs> it's every podcast that does it. Um, right. It's just trying to build that audience and yeah, get some more f- listeners so that um, yeah, we can have more fun as a community. So nice. I, I ha- love I love all the real world stuff, man. I love seeing you post anything that has like real world lighting or cinematography. Those are great examples. Yeah, man. Um, I I just. Photography is so impactful on uh, my 3D, just mm-hmm. understanding lighting and um, translating that over. And now with um, all the different renderers, you know, it just becomes even bigger part of what you're doing. But anyway, um, I'm going to have to get you on another show and we can talk about real world lighting and sure. lots of other Sounds things. Good. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ryan, for being on, man. Uh-oh. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was awesome. Yeah, it's been real fun, real fun chatting with you. And um, yeah, I just love this. So thank you everybody for listening. Uh, really appreciate you listening. Um, I feel very lucky to reach out to someone like Ryan and for him to be so, um, what's the right word? You're just jumping at the chance to um, support the show and be on. So thank you for being so approachable, man. That's awesome. No problem. That's all. That's the name of the game. Yep, and so um, chat online with me and Ryan at Twitter. So, um, yeah, we're always there. You are always there, I have to say. (laughs) I wake up at 2 in the morning in cold sweat sometimes. (laughs) Nice, man, nice. All right, everyone, have a wonderful week, and catch you next time. Okay, see ya. Join the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Pro Video Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes.